This morning, I am going to share a message with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 16. And so I encourage you to follow along with me, grab your Bible. I'll try not to take too long here today since we're all online. And so um, Ephesians chapter 4, but first let's pray and, uh, and let God bless the time and the Word. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are for this opportunity, this opportunity to gather together in, and around your Word and in your Word. Thank you, Lord, for the people of God. Thank you for those who have joined us here this morning, those who will listen to this uh, message and this sermon and this service at a later date. I pray in Jesus' name that you would anoint this time. I ask, Lord, that every song, every word that is spoken would be anointed and carry weight, that that weight, O God, would hit our hearts and hit the target and convict us and, and draw us by your presence to you. Open up our understanding today as we dive into the Word of God. And may you be glorified above all else, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended What is it? But he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might feel all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. How... Sorry, I missed that. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The message I want to share with you this morning I have entitled The Mature Walk. Um, I want to start out by, you know, thinking about what, what it means to be mature. If you look up the word mature in the dictionary, basically it has to do with uh, a completed or a natural growth, a completed or natural development. That normally when you think about plants or even humans or animals, um, you have attained a final desired or state if something is mature, or you have a condition of full de- development when we think about maturity. So normally when we think about maturity, we think about age. But I'm sure that every single one of us can probably think of someone who's older that still acts like a child, Right? Now, I'm not necessarily saying that we can't act like children. I mean, it's fun sometimes to, to be innocent and funny and, and have a good time. Um, 
So I understand that. But we all know older folks that though they should be mature, for some reason tend to still act like they are children, right? So age doesn't necessarily guarantee maturity because, let's be honest, in the day and age that we live in, it seems as though growing up is something that we put off longer and longer and as far as possible as we can. You know, we have more and more folks that are spending more time playing video games than they are with actually growing up, right? We've even turned the word adult into a verb, We say things like, I don't want to do any adulting today, right? Uh, In other words, I don't want to have to concern myself with responsibilities and obligations. Uh, I don't want to grow up. That's kind of how we look at things sometimes. I don't want to grow up. And it can happen in the spiritual realm also. We don't want to grow up. But in the spiritual realm, we must. We have to. For a matter of fact... Spiritual growth is really not an option. If you read through the scriptures, if you read through what Christ teaches, if you read through what the Word of God is trying to reveal to us, uh, uh, spiritual growth is not really an option. It is a command. It is something that is placed upon us. So when we grow spiritually, we are actually walking in a certain level of obedience. We are walking in obedience to the Lord. You know, at the beginning of the year, we have been challenging each other all year to pursue, to pursue Christ to pursue His presence, to pursue His grace, to pursue His purpose, to pursue His plan for our lives. Well, we have to realize that one of those purposes and plans is that we grow up, that we mature, right? The whole process of sanctification is God working in us His plan, His purpose, His character, His godliness, so that we become the people that God intended us to become in the very first place. Hebrews tells us that solid food belongs to those who are growing up, who by reason of use do exercise their senses to discern both good and evil. Paul was exasperated with the Corinthian church that he couldn't talk to them like spiritual folks, like mature spiritual folks. He said, I got to talk to you like spiritual babies, right? Jesus refers to our lives in John chapter 15 as branches that bear fruit, then more fruit, and then much fruit. So what we see from this is that Jesus expects us as the people of God, as disciples, as those who are connected to Christ, to have a consistent, growing, and producing spiritual life that we have to grow up. That no longer, that that no matter how long we try to hang on to childhood, we have to move on in spiritual maturity. Looking at this passage this morning, Paul consistently refers to the concept of spiritual maturity or perfection. He, he's pointing out the fact, because he starts chapter 4 by saying, therefore. What's he point? Therefore always points back to something. The first three chapters of Ephesians, he spent revealing to us what Jesus Christ has done for us at the cross. What grace has brought to us. Who we have become because of the blood of Jesus. He talks about who we were before Christ. He talks about who we have become because of Christ. And because of this work of grace, because of what Jesus has done in us, therefore, he says. And if you look at this passage, he says, if you have a rejoicing heart, and you're rejoicing over what Jesus has done for us by your grace then that heart should be pursuing spiritual development. We always have to remember something. We can, we can uh, it, it's, anytime we preach about grace and works, many times it gets a little bit cloudy there because we know that works don't save us. There's nothing that I can do to save me. 
But we have to be honest and recognize that if we are saved, if our hearts belong to God, then there should be fruit. And then there should be more fruit. And then there should be much fruit. If our hearts truly belong to Christ, then we should be motivated to grow spiritually. In verse 12, he refers to the perfecting of the saints or the equipping of the saints or the maturing of the saints. Verse 13, he refers to a perfect man or a mature man. He also refers to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Man, that, that phrase just sounds so awesome to me that, I, that my calling is to not just know the surface or mental knowledge of who Jesus is, but that we are to know the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 says, plain as he can possibly put it, that we should henceforth no longer be children. In verse 15, he says that we may grow up into him in all things. Now, we know that that physical maturity obviously is a natural thing. No matter how hard we fight it, age is going to catch us all. We're all going to have another birthday. And on that birthday, whether you want to admit it or not, you're going to be a year older. And as you get older, there are certain things that come with age. So we know that physical maturity happens naturally, as long as we take care of ourselves, as long as we eat right, as long as we do the things we're supposed to do, then that growth becomes natural, no matter how hard we fight it. But we know that growing up mentally, growing up emotionally, growing up educationally, that requires a choice. It requires an effort. If we're going to grow up emotionally, if we're going to grow up mentally, then that requires a certain level of effort. That requires that we make a choice to grow up. Because no matter how old we are, if we have not made a choice, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when I I was a child, I thought as a child. I acted as a child. But now that I've grown off, I've put off childish things. At least we should, right? It's a choice that we have to make. And spiritual maturity, folks, is no different. We don't grow spiritually by osmosis. We don't grow spiritually because we stick a Bible underneath our pillow at night and pray that it sinks into our brain. We can't continue to think that we're going to grow spiritually simply because we are living vicariously through somebody else's obedience, somebody else's testimony, somebody else's sermon, somebody else's teaching of the Word. We've got to make the choice to grow up Spiritually, we have to choose to be perfected or matured. We have to choose to no longer be children. We have to choose to grow up in him in all things. So Paul tells us what some of the characteristics are of spiritual maturity in this passage of Scripture that I want us to look look at. I'm not saying that these are necessarily all of them, but this is what Paul points out here in Ephesians chapter 4 of what it looks like to have a mature walk. A spiritually mature walk. Number one is a worthy walk. What's he say there at the beginning of this passage of Scripture? He says, I, as a prisoner of the Lord or in the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation or walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. Those of us who are growing and pursuing consistent spiritual development, have been called to live a life that Paul says is worthy 
of our calling or to walk worthy of the Lord or to walk worthy of God, as he says in Thessalonians. What does it mean to walk worthy or to have a worthy walk? That means that we remember who we represent, that we know that what we do and who we are becoming is for the glory of the Lord, that the God, that God placed a calling upon our lives. That just as the Bible tells us we are ambassadors, ambassadors are representatives of the, of the government or the power that sent them. They, an ambassador carries all of the power of the president or the king or the dictator or whomever they represent. They carry all of the powers with them because they represent, they speak for the government that they are an ambassador for. And so if we walk worthy of the Lord, that means that we consider our calling in our everyday life. We know that when the Bible talks about walking, it's not really talking about physical walking. It's talking about our lifestyle. Sometimes the King James Version uses the phrase conversation. And normally when we think of conversation, we think about how we talk, which it does include that. But our conversation in King James English is normally referring to how we live our lives, how we talk how we live, how we act, our attitudes, how we see the world. All of this is encompassed in walk. All of this is encompassed in conversation. So to have a worthy walk means that in every area of our lives, whether it's how we talk, how we act, how we see the world, how we respond to people, we are representatives of the kingdom of God. And so walking worthy of the Lord means that we desire to grow up Because we desire to please him, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, that we are growing up because we desire to please him in all things. That passage in Colossians says that this worthy walk leads to fruitfulness and an increase of knowledge. This is how it's manifested. When we walk worthy of the calling, when we walk worthy of the Lord, then we are increasing in the knowledge of God. We are producing fruit in our lives, and people are seeing that fruit in the way we live, in the way we act, and who we are becoming. When we walk a worthy walk, we live in a way that shows spiritual stability and growth, not spiritual immaturity and inconsistency and, unfortunately, hypocrisy, because hypocrisy really is a manifestation of spiritual immaturity That if we are walking worthy of the Lord, we are always conscious of the fact that I am representing Christ. I am the light of the world. I am a city set upon a hill. I am an ambassador because my life belongs to him. The joy of my life, therefore, is not to walk worthy simply because it makes me feel better or because if I don't, people will look at me strange, but to walk worthy of the calling because of the one who has called me for his glory and for his kingdom. So the first mark or characteristic of spiritual maturity, is a worthy walk. Number two, it is marked by meekness or lowliness and meekness, the King James Version says. Many times, there in verse two, with all lowliness and meekness. Uh, Many times the world marks maturity with strength, pride, many times conceit, getting to the top of the ladder. Uh, This is what it means to be mature, to have grown Uh, Men sometimes think that manliness means that we're supposed to be in control, that we're supposed to always exert our strength, that we're never supposed to show any type of vulnerability. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that there are differences between men and women. I do believe that men are called to be protectors and men are called to be strong. 
But many times we act like that as men. To show maturity means we're supposed to always be tough, mean, and and we're supposed to uh, be prideful and in control of things. But lowliness and meekness many times, the world looks at really as a sign of weakness. But the kingdom principles teach us that we are truly maturing when we realize that we don't have to live as only our agenda matters or a desire to defend our rights. We can all do that. My gosh, social media is full of this. Uh, That we want to defend our rights. We want to defend what we want to believe. My agenda is the only thing that matters. And so lowliness and meekness is an attitude of allowing our lives to be led by the Spirit and not by the desire to have things our way all of the time. We have to recognize that we have to come to a place of humility, a place of brokenness, in order for God to help us grow spiritually. The strongest people on earth are those who have learned to humble themselves, to live lowly, to live meek, to humble themselves under the hand of God and allow Him to lift them up and allow Him to be their strength. Meekness is just simply walking in gentleness, not being harsh, not desire. You know, there's a lot of people that think that being loud makes them right. And that's not necessarily true. To walk in meekness and lowliness is a desire to care for those around you, to act in a way of compassion, to not force what we think is right on people. Lowliness and meekness reminds us that we, too, are lost without Christ. And so because of the grace of God, I am who I am. There but by the grace of God go I. So I recognize that now I can look at people through the eyes of Jesus Instead of looking through the eyes of judgment and condemnation. This is what lowliness and meekness brings to our life. The number, thir- the number, three, characteristic, the number three characteristic of a spiritual mature life is a love that is mar- marked by long-suffering and forbearance. Paul says here, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Listen, folks, maturity is always seen in how we treat other people. I mean, when you, when you think about kids and how they react to folks, you know, lots of times kids will just say whatever's on their mind. They don't, they don't care how it's going to affect anyone. They don't care how anybody's going to take it. They just say it, right? And if, if another kid takes their toy or takes whatever they want, they can throw a tantrum until they get what they want, right? These are signs of immaturity. So how we treat other people many times is the greatest revelation of whether or not we have grown up. How we react and interact with other folks. Because really selfishness is a mark of immature people. It comes naturally to children and it will come naturally to us as long as we stay spiritually immature. Selfishness. Focusing on self. Obviously this is the antithesis of also being lowly and meek. When we are selfish, we're consistently focused on us and what we need. But learning to sacrifice those selfish desires and put others first is a true sign of growth. When we get to a point where we start seeing others first, that's actually a sign that we're growing up. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think hate is an immature emotion because anybody can hate. It takes power to love people, especially who are unlovable. Anybody can hate. It's a natural knee-jerk reaction when somebody does something to us that we don't like, when somebody is doing something to us that we think deserves judgment or deserves for us to respond in hate. It's easy for us to do that. 
It's only those who live under godly self-control. Those who have godly discipline in their lives. Who are not living selfishly, but desire to walk in a love that is long-suffering and forbearing. That allows us to operate no longer in hate, but in grace. No longer in hate, but in love. Love is the true motivation of a disciple. We cannot get around this fact. Uh, Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have one for another. Jesus, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has shed the love of God abroad in our heart. He even tells us that our faith doesn't work without love. The true definition of what it means to be a disciple is that we walk in love. And so how does Paul describe this love? He describes it as long-suffering, and he describes it as forbearance. When you look at the word forbearing, it basically means to put up with each other. I know that sometimes that that's hard to do, but let's be honest, we have to do it quite consistently. Some of us put up with our coworkers. We put up with our boss. Now, don't get me wrong. When I talk about putting up with things, I'm not talking about allowing people to run roughshod over us. I'm not talking about allowing the devil to run roughshod over us. We don't have to put up with the devil and his devices. We don't have to put up with people consistently and constantly treating us wrong and not say anything. But what long-suffering and forbearance means is that we are giving room. We are patient. We are gracious. We are, living, we are leaving room for people to grow with us. We're all humans. We all make mistakes. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs. So love is not sitting there keeping a book of what everybody has, everybody and what they have done to me, and this is how they do it, did it, and this is how I hope they get, they get in trouble for it, and this is the judgment and punishment I think they should get. This is not long-suffering and forbearing love. The kind of love that God has called us to walk in is a love that recognizes that as I grow, we're all growing at different levels, we're all growing at different speeds, I have to leave room for grace. I have to be gracious. I have to be forgiving if I'm going to continue to mature in my walk with God, if I'm going to continue to mature in my spiritual life. There are some of us that still hold grudges towards people that did something to us when we were in middle school. You know, eventually we have to grow up, let go, and move on, right? Because if we don't, it stunts our growth. We always know that forgiveness keeps us in bondage, not the person that we can't forgive. So it's a love that is marked by long-suffering and forbearance. I'm going to leave grace. If you'll leave grace for me, i got to leave grace for you. Number four sign of spiritual maturity in this passage of Scripture is a desire for unity, which in reality, this is the main focus of this passage of Scripture, is Paul's call for unity in the Ephesian church. And, and I find it very uh, intriguing, and, and, and uh, as we look at, we just went through a presidential election, now we're all calling for unity, we all need to come together, and I find it very interesting, it always, it's always the party that's in power, right, it's always the party that's in charge that starts calling for unity, right, it doesn't matter who it is, if a Republican's in charge, Democrats, you need to reach across the aisle, if Democrats are in charge, Republicans, you need to reach across the aisle, and let's work together, because whoever's in charge wants unity, because whoever's in charge wants to get their agenda done, and they know they can't get their agenda done if there's disunity, you ever notice that? So as we hear people talking about unity, we have to recognize that spiritual unity is, is a little different, spiritual unity is 
revolves around something that allows us to hold on to that is common to all of us. As we look at this passage of Scripture, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, love, this always leads us to keep the peace, which is what Paul says here, that we should strive or be eager to keep the peace or keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Jesus prayed for this kind of unity in John chapter 17. And it's a unity that, folks, we don't create. It's the unity, Paul says, of the Spirit. We don't create it, but we do everything we can to keep the unity in the bond of peace. So that means the Spirit of God creates this unity between us as the people of God. Because we are saved, because we are bought by the blood, because we are full of grace. That means that I can be in unity with you sitting in the sanctuary, or I can be in unity with a believer in Japan or Australia or Nigeria because we all have this common ground of Christ rescuing and saving our lives. It is a unity that is built by the Spirit but must be kept by the people of God. Now, spiritual unity is not necessarily spiritual uniformity. That doesn't mean that we all look the same and necessarily act the same at all times. I don't even believe that that means that we're supposed to all have one big denomination that we're all a part of. I think there's a beauty in the differences of the denominations. Because typically, once you bring an entire group together as one, there's always the dangers of the excesses that happens. And so I believe that there's beauty beauty in the differences that we are. But as the people of God, we desire to be people of peace and love and strive to keep unity. Immature Christians are those who cause strife through backbiting and through gossip. Jealousy and envy are not only works of the flesh, but they are signs of being a spiritual child. Our hearts have been filled with the Spirit that should motivate us towards keeping the unity of the Spirit as people of peace, which means that spiritual maturity is directly connected to our connection to others in the body of Christ. Our own spiritual growth and maturity is directly connected to whatever connection we have with those in the body of Christ. As we grow together in unity, obviously it affects us as the people of God. So even if we're praying and spending time on the Word and worshiping, if we're allowing things like unforgiveness and regrets, and we're allowing things like gossip and envy and jealousy and backbiting to rise up on the inside of us, then it's going to stunt our spiritual growth. So a desire for unity. Number five, a desire for service. As we see in this passage of Scripture, the Bible says that God has given unto us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do what? To do the work of the ministry. A true sign of spiritual maturity and development is a desire to serve, a desire to give, a a desire to help others, to get involved, to do what God has called us to do, to go, to be, to perform, to show. Now, this is again, this is not how we get grace. This is a result of grace, that because grace has captured us, Because of what Jesus has done for us, it should motivate us to want to be involved, to serve, to use my gifts, my talents, my money, my prayer life to help other people, to love other people, to show other people God's 
grace. For a matter, matter of fact, service itself helps us grow. There's one thing that I've heard my dad preach for many, many years, is that if you want to see God do something in your life, then go do something in someone else's life, right? If you need a healing in your life, go pray for somebody else's healing. If you're discouraged, go find somebody else and encourage them. Because serving helps us grow. Serving allows us to take what we know in our minds or what we know in our hearts theologically, doctrinally, and practically apply it to our lives. It's when we practically apply theology that it becomes a reality in our lives. Because that's when the Spirit gets involved. Paul said the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Just because we fill our head full of biblical knowledge and biblical doctrine, and just because we become theologians on our own on our own level, if we don't ever take what we have learned and live it out and put it in practice, then it just becomes knowledge. And the Bible says knowledge puffs up. It makes us proud because now we're walking around like, look at what I know. But what are you doing with it? Theology has always been meant to live out. And it's, that's why we're filled with the Spirit. That's why He empowers us. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are for. So that we work out this salvation power by serving and by giving. Because serving connects us to others. And as I said just a minute ago, our growth is dependent upon each other. Our growth is dependent upon each other. So if you're not involved in a church somewhere, if you're not involved in helping or ministering in some way, you need to. Because if you don't, it will stunt your spiritual growth. We've got to do the work that God has called us to do. And number six, finally, is a commitment to truth. We cannot grow unless we are filling our minds and hearts with God's truth. And His Word is truth. As I just said a minute ago, I'm not downing the fact that we need to fill our minds with God's Word. We do. On certain levels, we're all theologians. It's not that we don't know theology. It's just that if we don't have the right theology, then we're going to see God wrong. We're going to see ourselves wrong. We're going to see other people wrong. Our theology matters. What we believe matters. What we know matters. For a matter of fact, the Bible always connects knowledge to growth. I've mentioned this before. If we're not knowing, we're not growing. If we don't know, then we don't grow. If we are not... Filling ourselves with knowledge, then we can never grow in our walk with God. So it's the Word of God, the truth of God that Peter says is the milk that we should drink. And it's the meat that we should eat. Spiritual mature people recognize that if I'm going to grow, then I have to grab a hold of the truth of God's Word. And that also means that we are less worried about people's opinions than we are about the truth of God's Word. I know that we live in a day and age right now where uh, being, that, that we're always concerned about being offensive. That the number one thing is, is if we love people, then that means that we accept everybody. That means that we never say anything that might upset anyone. And honestly, I don't believe that that's love at all. I mean, I don't believe that as loving Christian people, we're supposed to be going around just trying to stir up controversy just for the sake of controversy. I mean, and I, honestly, I've seen people say things like that, heard people preach sermons for the whole purpose of just stirring up controversy. And my gosh, we'll all agree that social media is full of, of posts and memes and such that are many times just put on there just to stir up controversy. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if we are going to be people who stand on truth, who fill our minds with truth, 
we have to recognize that the opinions of men cannot stop us from speaking truth. Paul said there that we speak the truth in love. Obviously, our motivation matters. Why we are motivated to do it matters. How we do it matters. But we should still cling to truth. For a matter of fact, unity can't even happen unless we have a solid truth on which to unify around. If we don't even know what the truth is, then how do we have unity? We can only have unity based upon a certain knowledge of truth, a certain level of truth on which we can all base our lives. That God is good, that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, came and died on a cross and rose again three days later, ascended to heaven and sent to us the, the person of the Holy Spirit to live and indwell every believer and that one of these days Jesus is coming again. There are certain elements of truth that we all hold to that unifies us. Folks, once we start breaking down these foundational truths, then we destroy unity. We don't really become the church any longer. We become a group of people that are basing their lives simply on personal opinion and desire. We have to found our lives on a certain unshakable truth. Jesus said you can either build your house on a sand or you can build your house on a rock. But if we don't know what the rock is, how can we build our house upon it? And if the rock is consistently changing with cultural trends and, and, and cultural opinions, then the rock isn't any different than the sand. The rock is a rock because it stays firm and strong consistently, unchanging, unshakable, unturning. That's why we must cling to truth. A commitment to truth not only helps us grow, but as we speak it in love, we are helping others grow up into all things. That as we speak the truth to each other, as we encourage one another through the Word of God, as we encourage one another through the truth of God's Word, we are helping others grow. We are feeding our faith. We are feeding our minds. We are transforming our lives by the truth that saves the world. So I, my challenge to you this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture is that you desire to live a mature Christian life. I'm not saying that you can't act goofy every once in a while or have a good time. Let's do that. I'm not talking about being mature as someone who is a stick in the mud and never knows how to enjoy anything. But what I am talking about is people who desire to grow up spiritually, to have a depth about their lives, a development about their walk. Because honestly, every day is a new opportunity, a new opportunity to pursue Jesus and a new opportunity to grow in our faith, to grow in our walk with God. So we need to take advantage. The Bible tells us to redeem the time. Take advantage of every opportunity to mature and develop in our faith. Because we are being naive, folks, if we don't believe that our faith in the upcoming days, are going to be, our faith is going to be challenged. And I'm not just talking about who's president or not president, or who's in control of Congress or not Congress. I'm not talking about politics at all. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. Jesus is coming again, and the enemy knows that. He knows that. And because of that, his attacks are increasing. Skepticism and doubt is increasing. There are more and more people who are qualifying themselves or calling themselves unbelievers or don't necessarily believe in anything. We're seeing more and more people who consider themselves spiritual but not necessarily Christian. And so we are naive, folks, if we don't believe 
that our faith is going to be challenged. It is going to be put to the test. And unless we are taking the opportunity to strengthen our faith and grow in our spiritual walk, we are going to find ourselves in spiritual battles where we don't know how to respond and we don't know what to do with it. So we need to take advantage of every opportunity. To do what? To walk worthy of the Lord, to walk worthy of the calling that he's placed upon us, to live a life that's marked with godly character like lowliness, meekness, gentleness, a desire to to bring people together in unity, to build the body of Christ, to live a life of service and a commitment to the truth of God's word. This is what it looks like to grow up spiritually, to mature spiritually as the people of God. So as I close out this week, Uh, If you need prayer for any reason, please let us know, and we will be praying for you this week. Pray for us as a church. Pray for us as as a nation that God will continue to bless this nation and and somehow bring healing to the division that is is here. And may we strive to to promote unity in this body of believers. Let me pray for you this week and and, uh, ask that God challenge you and convict you and draw you and that you would experience His grace. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for every believer that gathered with us here this morning to hear the Word of God, to to sing and and celebrate you through worship. I pray in the name of Jesus that every person who hears this sermon at a later date would also be blessed, touched, challenged, convicted. Lord, draw us by Your Spirit to be always pursuing, always growing, always maturing in our faith always becoming who you've called us to become. Lord, show us how to walk worthy of the calling and how we could work, O oh God, to promote unity in the body of Christ. Lord, I pray for every believer. I pray for everyone, Lord, that may have been touched by COVID. I ask that you would heal the sick, that you would bring comfort and strength to those family members who are going through this. People are being hurt financially as a result of this. God, have mercy, we ask. Would you turn the tide, we pray in Jesus' name. Teach us to trust you and follow passionately after you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me. I want to remind you, uh, this uh, Monday we won't be having Malachi Dads. Uh, this Wednesday, uh, we, I will do a Bible study online, but we are not having the worship service. So, Wednesday, I'll be here by myself. Well, Lucille, she may not know that, but Wednesday we'll be here uh, to do a Bible study, but we won't be doing the worship service. We'll give you more details about next Sunday as we follow the trend and as we pay attention to what the governor's mandates are uh, so that we can do what we need to do. So pray for us. We love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in Jesus' name.